Good morning, everybody. How's, how's, how are we doing temperature-wise? Too cold? Too hot? Could be cooler? Okay. You're drinking coffee. Stop drinking the coffee, and then you'll be cooler. All right. Good deal. All right, let's pray, shall we? Father God, you have given us Jesus, sent your Son, your only begotten Son, your beloved Son, to die in our place. The great exchange, Father. We've been saved from so much. We've been saved from sin. We've been saved from Satan. We've been saved from your wrath. We've been saved from hell, Lord God. May that sober us and humble us and cause us to rejoice this morning. Father, please help us rejoice at the contrast as we see the rescue and as we remember the gospel daily. May it cause us to live more holy lives for you. This is all because you're worthy. And in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, last week in our study on hell. I hope you've enjoyed it. (laughs) I hope it's been uh, of benefit. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I hope it's helped your spiritual life and your life before God. We've been uh, looking together, addressing certain objections, objections to... um, Objections people have about the eternality of hell. How can God punish sinners for 70 or 80 years of sin for an an eternity? How can he send them to eternal hell uh, that lasts forever because of 70 or 80 years of bad choices or rebellion? We've looked at objections about um, God being unloving because he sends people to hell. How can God be loving and send people to hell? And... um, We looked last week at the objection that we often make as Christians, which is, uh, I do believe the doctrine of hell, but I don't like the doctrine of hell. I'll believe it. You know, I know it's in the Bible, and I I have to submit to the authority of God, but I don't like it. And uh, that's not something we should settle for. If that's a reality in your heart that uh, you do believe in the doctrine of hell, but you don't like it, you should uh, repent of that. You should go to the Lord and say, "Uh, forgive me. There's something about you, and there's something about your plan that I don't like. And yet, I know that the Bible says you're perfect. Please, Father, forgive me and and cause my heart to rejoice at your justice and your judgment in hell. And we looked at uh, several ways um, that we need to address that and answer that objection. Um, We've looked at how the doctrine of hell, when we take it away, we take it out of the equation, or if we diminish it at all, it affects so many other doctrines of the Christian faith, right? So, again, let's, let's review that because I think that's probably one of the most important parts of our study so far. So, how does diminishing the doctrine of hell take away from the other doctrines of the Christian faith? Let's, let's talk about that as we kind of review before we get started. Yes, yes, ma'am. Hell, hell makes... God's love and his glory greater. And so if you diminish it, it takes that away. It takes away from his holiness. It takes away from his love. In fact, how are we going to know how loving God is if there's not something to contrast it with? Right? If there's not a, if there's not a dark background to look at his love against, uh, then it doesn't seem as great. His glory doesn't seem as bright, does it? Good. What else? Other doctrines does it affect? Yes, Nathan. Uh, 
That's right. Why is it so important that we share our faith? Right? Why, do we, why evangelize the world? Why take this message to the nations if it isn't uh, really good news? If it's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's all right news. You know? It's not good news. It's not great news like we believe it is because we're saved from hell and sin and Satan. So, yeah, it, it does diminish the gospel. Uh, Jesus Christ really didn't rescue us, did he? It really wasn't a rescue mission he went on. Right? It, it's really just uh, that he, he came to uh, make, maybe make life better instead of save us from the judgment we deserve for our rebellious sin against the holy God. Right? And so it says something about sin then, too. What does it say about sin? There you go. That, that, I like that. Uh, Wendy said, it's an oops view of sin. Oh, I, I may, this was accidental. I, I, kind of, I kind of tripped over myself. You know, that was accidental. Sin was an accident. It wasn't an accident. It was purposeful. It was exactly what we wanted to do according to our own selfish wills. That's right. That's right. And, and he's the one who gets to define that, right? If he created us and he's designed this world and he's in charge and he's sustaining everything every second of every day, then he gets to say what is good, what is right, what is true. And so, yeah, it, dec- it decimates sin. Sin is not that bad. And so... Really, why, why do we need to be saved from it? Christ came to maybe make our lives better, to give us an example to follow so we could live this life to the fullest. But he came to give us life eternal and to save us from eternal life in hell. So, Good, good. And so we see the domino effect that diminishing hell has on the rest of the, uh, on the, rest of the doctrines of the Christian faith. How does it affect sanctification? What do you think? How does diminishing hell affect sanctification for the believer now in this life? As you're, as you're seeking to be uh, more like Jesus. You know. Why bother? Okay. That's a, let's flesh that out. Uh, why bother? What's the... Uh, what? Right, exactly. And, and you know, Paul and the other apostles, they were always saying you need to live out your holy lives to prove your faith, right? To prove that you are in the faith. And so and there's, there's no proving your faith. Why do you need to really prove your faith? Because if, if you're wrong, it's really not that bad anyway, right? If you're wrong, it's really not that bad anyway. So you just kind of enjoy life and whatever happens will happen, right? Good. How else would it affect sanctification as we choose uh, in this life? You know, sanctification is now as Christians, we are being made holy. We're being set apart. So how would... Um, Diminishing hell affect that, yes. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're striving to be holy as he is holy, right? That's the commandment in the New Testament. And hell um, it corresponds to his holiness, right? The, the punishment for sin says something about the awfulness of sin, which says something about his holiness. And so if he's really not that holy, then we don't have to live that obediently. We don't have to really live that radically or passionately. It does. And so and at the same time, 
um, if it does, like you were saying, Nathan, diminish the gospel, if it takes away from the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, well, what happens to those verses in the New Testament where Paul and the other apostles are using the love of God in the gospel as an incentive for us to live obedient lives now? It's not that big a deal. It's, not that, it's really not much incentive. It's really not much motivation for us to live the way we should live if hell is not a reality. Yes. How so? can see that, yeah. Uh, and if Christ, Christ came down as really the only sacrifice that could do the job, if he was the only way, then really, uh, could, couldn't there have been another way? I mean, did, did it really have to be Jesus if hell wasn't a reality or if it wasn't that bad? If it was an annihilationism just ceasing to exist? Couldn't it have been done another way besides the holy, uh, loved, begotten Son of God coming down to die for sinners? Yeah. Good point. Good point. Okay, well, let's get started with uh, today's objection. Really, it's not an objection. I just want to ask a question, and, and let's, let's answer this together here this morning. Um, what changes should the doctrine of hell prompt us to make? Okay, we've been studying it for the last five weeks. What changes in our lives should the doctrine of hell prompt us to make? What, we should, what should we do? We know how hell is reality. Okay, it's in the scriptures. It's very explicitly put in the scriptures. So what should we do about it? Number one. Study hell to know what it is from God's perspective. I mean, how many, how many myths and just uh, our ideas of our own invention have been put out there about hell? How many, you know, about what, you know, it's, it's, it's a bunch of caves down there and just, you know, they're uh, like if you ever read The Far Side, you know, all those, there's all these comics about, uh, you know, devil down there sitting at a desk, you know, or listening to New Age music for eternity and stuff like that, you know. Uh, that, all these crazy ideas about what hell is from our society and, and the, the jokes uh, that people make. Well, I mean, we need to know it from God's perspective. It's just like heaven. Um, we have all these, we have kind of a, a cartoon mentality about what heaven is. And the same is true of hell, okay? We get it from Looney Tunes, you know, sitting on the cloud playing a harp. You know, is that really? No, the new and the new earth, that's what it's going to be about? No, in the same sense, I think we have a cartoon mentality of what hell is like. So we need to know what it is from God's perspective. So we need to study hell to know it from his eyes. Okay, so here I've put for you um, some texts. Uh, I think some of the main texts uh, to deal, that deal with God's judgment. Um, the afterlife in terms of his condemnation, the deal with hell in the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy 32, Isaiah 66, and Daniel 12, New Testament, Matthew 5, 10, 18, 23. You can see it all there. Uh, but take those, keep this piece of paper, and do some of your own study. Look into it and see how powerfully this doctrine is laid out in the text because it is. I mean, uh, and if it's laid out so frequently, powerfully, then we need to know about it. I mean, there, that's why um, we've talked about this. We don't build doctrines on one or two verses, do we? We don't do that. We build doctrines on uh, verses, several verses, many verses that, that say something about 
of God or something he has done in his plan. So we need to make sure that we study. And I mean, there's a lot of texts here. There's a lot of chapters of the Bible that are dedicated to talking about his judgment, talking about his justice. So uh, there's a doctrine built on this. This is not just us coming and saying, okay, yes, uh, let's take like the end of Mark chapter 16 when it talks about handling serpents and drinking poison. Yeah, we're going to build a doctrine off of that. No, it's not repeated really anywhere else. So we don't build a doctrine on the end of that chapter of Mark 16. But when we're talking about, I mean, what, what is that, like 10 chapters of the Bible that are put forth about his judgment? Yeah, we need to know about this. We need to know it from God's perspective. Okay, read Jonathan Edwards' sermons. Here's a dude that wasn't afraid to preach about hell, okay? Yeah, people have uh, labeled him a fire and brimstone preacher. That wasn't all he preached, but he did preach about hell. And he preached about hell because he saw it as necessary to warn people of the wrath to come. He said, okay, if Jesus is going to warn people, if the apostles are going to warn people, then I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to follow in suit. And so he wasn't afraid. Look at all these sermons here. If, uh, you can go to, um, if you, I have it right there, a puritansmind.com. You can find these sermons there for free. Just read a sermon of Jonathan Edwards. You know, dedicate an afternoon to studying one of his sermons. You've got warnings of a future, a future punishment don't seem real to the wicked. They, they always had kind of long sermon titles. You know, th- this is nothing compared to what I've seen, but um, distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God. And then at the end of the, the list there, you see sinners in the hands of an angry God, which we have... Um, talked about briefly in this series. So I actually want to read to you a portion of Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God just to give you an idea of um, his, his preaching on hell that you really don't hear very often in modern Christianity. You don't hear this. In fact, if you heard this in modern Christianity from a pulpit, you would kind of sit, tend to squirm in your seat a little bit. It, it would make you uncomfortable. You thought, really? You know, can, can, can he do that? Is, that? is that all right? But he's reflecting the word of God. He's reflecting Jesus. So I just want to read you um, an example here. Okay, listen to this. Wow, and, and I, I do think this represents the, uh, the, the Bible well. So here we go. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, abhors you and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. You are 10,000 times so abominable in his eyes as the most hateful, venomous servant is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did his prince. And yet tis nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. Tis to be ascribed to nothing else that you did not go to hell the last night, that you were suffered to awake again in this world after you closed your eyes to sleep. No other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. There is no other reason to be given why you have not gone to hell since you have sat here in the house of God provoking his pure eyes by your sinful, wicked manner of attending his solemn worship. Yea, there is nothing else that is to be given as a reason why you don't this very moment drop down into hell. This reflects the reality of how awful, abominable, heinous our sin is before a holy God. And the the fact that we are not in hell right now shows that God is merciful and gracious. We should be there. That would be fair. I, I, don't you hear that all the time? It's not fair that some people go to heaven and, and some people go to hell, but fairness would be that we all go there. That would be just of God for us to all go there. 
but he chose to send his son to punish him for many. To punish him in the place of many, the text says. So read, read some of those sermons, and that will give you a biblical perspective on hell. Okay, so study hell to know it from God's perspective. Number two, think deeply about hell. Think deeply about it. Is that, is that something you meditate on very much? Do, do you kind of plumb the depths of hell and God's judgment in your mind whenever you're, um, whenever you're talking about who he is? What, what, uh, I mean, your life verse probably doesn't involve you know, the doctrine of hell, it's probably not one of those texts, you know, about like Matthew 10, 28, uh, fear, fear God who could destroy both body and mind, uh, or body and soul in hell. Is that your life verse? Probably not. But we need to think deeply about this because it does, it affects uh, the character of God, it affects, the, uh, it affects sin, and then therefore affects the gospel of God. And so if we're going to preach the gospel to ourselves, we've got to think deeply about the doctrine of hell. So, what, what things do we need to remind ourselves about? If, if you're going to think deeply about hell, what, what, what are some of the things that you would think that would help you to be able to um, live a more holy life in the now about hell? What do you think? Yeah. Right. There's no getting out. I mean, that's, and that's where we belong, and that, that's where we should be. There is no getting out. I like the way you said that. It is eternal. Have you ever tried to think of eternity? I used to do this when I was a kid, like, because my Sunday school teachers would talk about heaven and hell being forever, and I would try to think of forever. And, and I would, you know, you always hit this wall. You're like, I can't go any further than that, you know? I, I would think until, okay, I can imagine me being 15. And then I, I couldn't go any farther than that, you know, when I was like six years old. I, I'm 15. I can, I can imagine high school, you know. I can't get past that. But you, you try to think eternity, and you try to think past your life, and then past your kids' lives, and your grandkids' lives, and then, uh, and then whenever Christ returns, and thinking of how long that could last, a thousand years, 10,000 years, a million years. And, and you can't go, you have to keep quantifying it. You, know, you have to keep quantifying it in your mind, but there is no quantifying eternity. And so you cannot go beyond a certain point. And then think, that's where I should be, in, in agony, because of my sin. But yet, I have been saved. Yet, I have been rescued and redeemed. So, thinking about its consequences, the eternality of hell. What else? Anything else you can think of that would help you? Help you live a life you should live. Good, good point. The separation from God. I think um, you're exactly right because even unbelievers right now, they, they have God in their lives, right? Uh, not They don't believe God. They haven't submitted to his authority. I'm not talking about that. But in terms of God keeping them here, keeping them breathing, giving them jobs, giving them families, right? protecting them, giving them food, giving them the, them the things they need, God does love them, right? He does love them. He doesn't love them the same as uh, those who have trusted his son, but they, he does love sinners, and so he's keeping them here. And to be separated from that kind of uh, restraining love, protecting love, right, providing love here in this life, to not have that, we can't even imagine how awful that would be. 
can't even imagine what that would be like to not have uh, God's grace present in your life, even for unbelievers. Now, for believers, we think, man, we, we have his grace given to us every second of every day because of Jesus, because we're united with him. But, yeah, even for uh, unbelievers, they're, they're in this life and they're experiencing his protecting, providing hand of love. But to have that removed and all his wrath poured out, wow, can you imagine? I can't. So the separation from God and the fact that we don't get that. And think about this, too. Um, for, for us, this is as bad as it gets because of the grace of God, because of his love, because of Jesus Christ. Here and now, we're going through trials. Life is hard, right? I mean, you would agree life is hard, but this is as bad as it gets for us. This is as bad as it gets because we get to go be with our Savior forever in heaven. Praise him. But for unbelievers who never submit to God and who never believe in Jesus Christ, um, this is the best it gets. This is as good as it gets for them. But, sorry, someone want to say something? right. Yeah. Because we don't have any experience of it. We, we've always lived with, with God being gracious. Even, even the person that is experiencing some of the, the worst situational um, pain and suffering cannot imagine what it would be like to have God's hand of love removed completely and no grace and, and wrath without mixture. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good point. We need to think about these things. We're, I think we're afraid to think these things. We don't like thinking of these things. They're uncomfortable. But then you go to the other side and you say, but God, for me, but God, I have not gone there now and I will not go there because of Jesus Christ. And it makes you more grateful and it makes you praise him and it makes you more obedient and leads you to um, exemplify Christ more. Okay, Th- so thinking more de- deeply about hell. Uh, we need to make sure hell is a part of the gospel we preach to ourselves every day. Make sure hell is part of the gospel you preach to yourself. Because it is. It is part of the gospel. It is the condemnation that we deserve. It's the judgment we deserve. And it makes the grace of God through Jesus Christ that much more powerful, and that becomes uh, a greater re- It becomes a sweeter truth that should lead us to be more obedient and to follow her more closely, right? So make sure it's part of the gospel you preach to yourself because God's love isn't as powerful, it isn't as high, it isn't as concentrated without hell in that equation. Number two under there, or the second arrow. Think of this. We already alluded to this, but think of the most horrific situation you can imagine. Think of the most horrific situation you can imagine being in on earth. Then remember that hell is worse still. It's worse still, not to mention eternal. I mean, we, we do that. We imagine those kinds of things from time to time. Wow, life, I cannot imagine how bad it would be if this is true of me. Or if, if I had this disease. Or if I uh, was in the hospital with this. Or, or if I didn't have this in my life. I cannot imagine how awful life would be. Think of that. Whatever, uh, whatever the, the most horrific situation would be in your thinking. And then think, hell is worse still and eternal at the same time. 
And that helps us to remember the grace of God. It's not, this, it's not just that you remember hell and you just think on hell. You've got to bring the other side of the coin around. You've got to remember his grace in light of his wrath and his judgment, right? You never just think and meditate on hell by itself. Don't do that. Think and meditate on it in relation to God's grace in your life as a Christian. And what you've been saved from, it was a rescue mission. And is continually. Okay. Number three here. Third arrow. God didn't just save us from the raging storm just to put us on dry ground. He saved us and brought us to his palace. What do you think that means? Think of yourself in in the middle of um, a raging storm, in the middle of an ocean. You're drowning. You've got nothing to hold on to. There's no land in sight. And yet, a helicopter comes out of nowhere. Takes you out of there. Gets you your life preserver. Takes you out of the water. Brings you up in the helicopter, right? And then doesn't just take you and put you on the dry ground, the closest shore, but takes you to, uh, you know, some kind of lavish hotel and says, here, get anything on the menu, rest. This place is yours. I mean, God, he, he, he didn't just, I mean, think about this. Hell is, if, if, we, if I was going to have here, let's see. Let's do, here's earth. Right there, heaven yeah. and hell. Okay. I'm not going to take the time to draw little flames. But um, so we deserve hell. We're, we're on earth right now. Okay. And we deserve to go to, I mean, that's, well, I don't have three legs. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> that's weird. Um, okay. So there's a guy. Um, we deserve hell. All of us deserve hell. And so we should be down there. And so it wasn't just that Jesus Christ came down to earth and he saved us from hell to keep us here. Right? He, he came down to save us from, from our sin, to save us from hell, so we could be brought here. He didn't just keep us here. It's not just like he saved us and he, to take us to dry land. Right? But he took us to his palace. That's what we get. I mean, that's, that's something that jazzes up my heart, right? I didn't get saved from hell. I got saved from hell, and then life on earth that is sinful, that is still has suffering. Yes, there's God's love that is present here, but there's still sin. I got saved from this, and I don't have to put up with this anymore either in terms of my own sinful nature and all the suffering that comes along with that. I got saved from that as well, and I get to go to heaven. And you get to go to heaven. That, that is a beautiful truth. He didn't just put us on dry ground. He brought us to his palace. He didn't just save us to keep us here. Help that, uh, that, make that part of your meditation. Okay, let's keep going here. There are people in hell right now, and this is, I worded this weird, but there are people in hell right now that are there for committing the same sins as you. Think of that. the, The same sins that I commit daily basis there are people in hell right now suffering because of those sins. Yet, again, but God, through Jesus Christ, I have been saved. And so that just helps me to understand that I should be there. I mean, there are people that are there because they've lied, they've lied like I have lied. They've, uh, they've lusted like I have lusted. They, they, have, um, they have used God's name in vain like I have used God's name in vain. And they're in hell and they're getting God's full wrath as a result of it. But for me, Jesus got God's full wrath. Jesus got the wrath and not them. 
So just thinking of the fact that it's not like uh, they're different down there. The people down there, they're different. No, they committed the same sins that you are committing now. But you have been saved by Jesus. Turn with me to um, Matthew 11. 20 through 22. Someone read that text for us, please. Yeah, through 22. So what, what does that tell you about God's judgment, or the condemnation of sinners? What does it tell you about hell? That text. There's, there's another one. I'll, you can look at the Luke 12 passage. You can look that up as well. But what does that say? Because it, it will be, verse 22, more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you? What do you think that says about hell? Not, well, knowledge of responsibility, yes. Um, he's telling them, you know, you're doing something extremely bad. But in terms of the afterlife, what does that say? There are degrees of punishment in hell. There are other texts like that um, in the scriptures. There are degrees of punishment. And so... Uh, that should be part of our meditation on hell. There, there are degrees, depending on uh, the sins you've committed, there is reason for us to believe in the scriptures. There are degrees of hell. It's not just we, we take that from Dante's Inferno, okay? Uh, there seems to be reason to believe that from what Jesus has said, that it will be more tolerable, more bearable for you, Tyre and Sidon, than it will be for um, other people. Uh, I guess, uh, say, the, the unrepentant cities he's speaking to. Yes, Shane. Well, the, the more you know, the, the more you realize, you, the more you understand God's will and right from wrong, the, the scriptures do say that uh, for him who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So knowledge does increase responsibility and guiltiness. Okay, let's keep going here. Think about that. Um, there are degrees of punishment in hell. Number three. Here's one that somebody last week uh, already started talking about, which is great. That kind of primed the pump. Let hell energize your evangelism. Let hell energize your evangelism. Look at Jude 22 and 23. I love this, this imagery that uh, he paints for us. Jude only has one chapter, so it's verse 22 and 23. I know you guys probably knew that. But it just sounds weird to say that. It sounds weird not to say verse, you know. Someone read 22 and 23 for us, please. That 
imagery. Not, not that we can save people, but we do lead them to Christ. We, we do tell them uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ through, um, through which they are saved, right? So it's the imagery of us snatching them out of the fire as we do that, as we share the gospel, uh, just thinking of that kind of imagery, imagery. as you um, share the gospel, as you bring it to people's ears, as you plead with people to repent, uh, you're helping to snatch them out of the fire. God, pray that God would use you in order to do that. So if we're going to let hell energize our evangelism, then we've got to realize a few things, okay, in order to have us actually be motivated by hell to share the gospel. First arrow under three. Jesus saves us from more than ourselves. Have you, have you heard this lately? It's, it's kind of like uh, people are continuing to diminish sin. They're continuing to make it an oops version of sin, or not maybe not an oops version of sin, but a, a lesser degree of sin by saying that um, God saves us through Jesus Christ from ourselves. Is that true? Does, I mean, in a sense it is that he does save us from ourselves because we're sinful and he's saving us from sin. But it's not the whole story, is it? It's, it's, it's incomplete. Does he save us from ourselves? I've heard this from a lot of people uh, in songs and music and Christian songs, save us from ourselves. Yeah, it's true, but it's not the whole thing. Why is it not complete? What's the rest of the story? What's the rest of the equation? He's saving us from God. That the, God is saving us from God. Isn't that a great truth to think about and meditate on? God is saving us from himself. The offended party, God, has sent Jesus Christ, his only son, to take all of his wrath on himself so that that wrath. That's amazing. God is saving us from himself. He was offended. He's the one who should punish us, but instead he chose to punish his son. So God is, we're, we're, we're not being saved from ourselves as much as we're being saved from God. And not just, um, God's not just angry for nothing. He's angry at our lawlessness. He's angry at our hostile rebellion against him. And so let that picture of hell and the understanding of hell uh, energize your evangelism. You're telling them they need to be saved from God's just wrath. Just wrath for their sins. Um, think, think of this, that little dot under the arrow. God actively sends people to hell and punishes people in hell. This is, this is what the Bible says. God actively sends people to hell and punishes people in hell. Because uh, Matthew 10.28 says that uh, God is able to destroy body and soul in hell. God destroys body and soul in hell. And then Luke 12.5 talks about God sending people to hell. So it's not like um, hell is somehow separated from, from God, like um, God kind of made this, um, this place called hell, and he has nothing to do with it. And yet people, people go there, they send themselves there. Is, is that how it works? They send themselves there? They, they sin and therefore send themselves there? People could argue that, but that's not the whole story. Again, yes, their sins send them to hell, but the text also says God sends them to hell. We, we see both sides of the coin in the New Testament. Um, our sins send us to hell, but God actively sends us there, and he actively punishes there. So we're saving, we're, uh, we're seeking to not, we're seeking to have people saved. We're seeking to uh, share the gospel so that they will be saved from God's holy and just wrath. There's that other text that's in um, Hebrews 10, 
It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember that about his justice and his judgment. Second arrow. Warning, okay, the act of warning necessitates urgency instead of passivity and loving concern instead of indifference. Let me say that again. Warning necessitates urgency instead of passivity and loving concern instead of indifference. Doesn't it? I mean, you, who's going to warn somebody like this? Hey, hey there's, you got, there's a car right there. Yeah, maybe you want to just, yeah, yeah, right there. Yeah, no. No one warns like that. Okay? We warn uh, with urgency. We warn with, with loving concern, right? There's a car coming, okay? Get out of the road, right? That's what we do. We, we don't just kind of, you, know, you might want to, no one warns like that. Warning, you must be urgent. You must have passion to warn, okay? But yet, we're, we're kind of embarrassed, aren't we? Did I wake up the baby? I'm sorry. I, uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I think he's all right. I think he's all right. Um, but if we're going to do this, we, we kind of we, we bashful about sharing the gospel, aren't we? Kind of like, well, let me just tell you what I believe. Let me, yes, yes, hell's a reality. It, it is, you know, kind of like, I'm sorry, but hell's a reality. Uh, you know, but Jesus saves you, you know. Let's get quickly to the Jesus part, you know. We want to rush past the, the, the justice part and the fact that you deserve God's wrath and get to the Jesus part real quick. You know, we do it bashfully. We, we, we don't warn. Do we? How often would you say that you've told people about the gospel and it was um, it paralleled or co- corresponded perfectly to the act of warning, having urgency and having passion and loving concern for somebody? If you love somebody, then you get them out of that road. You do everything you can to tell them that a car is coming so that they can get it on the other side of that street and be safe. But as it is, we, we don't share the gospel like that. We don't warn as, as we should. And, um, and, and, you know, really, if let's, let's say somebody was in a, in a house and it was starting to become engulfed in flames and you were outside of the house and there was nothing you could do to get inside the house because of the fire, but you saw the fire growing and consuming the house as you were warning from the outside, yelling at the top of your lungs for the person that was inside that house to get out, as the flames started to grow, would you not yell louder? Would you not do other things? Would you, would you not um, forcefully try everything you could to make sure that person heard you and got out of that house as the flames were growing? Would your concern and your passion not grow? You would. Why not, as you see people continuing to live life, indifferent, apathetic, not acknowledging God, in rebellion, doing their own thing, living selfishly before a, a holy God, why wouldn't your warnings get stronger as you see them getting closer and closer to judgment? Help apologize for evangelism. Third arrow. Don't be afraid of scaring people into hell. Don't be afraid of scaring people into hell. Um, there's always that concern. I understand that concern. You don't want someone just to believe in Jesus because they just to get out of hell and to go into heaven, right? It's, it's not uh, something we desire for people, and that's a false conversion, really. I mean, I, I was scared of hell when I was a kid, and that was part of the reason why I accepted Jesus, right? Because uh, I didn't want to go to hell. But here's the thing. Um, let, let me demonstrate to you, and I think, uh, Phil, you already quoted this text from 
Revelation 14. But here's sort of said about hell. Uh, and an, another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. So that's pretty scary, isn't it? They have no rest. The full strength of God's wrath poured out. That's pretty scary imagery. And so I like what uh, Jonathan Edwards says. He says, uh, hell is a legitimate reality to be afraid of. Hell is a legitimate reality to be fearful of. Right? And so warning people to escape that wrath to come, don't be afraid you're going to scare them into heaven. But come around that second dot, right? Just make sure you tell the whole gospel. That's all you got to do. Yes, tell them hell. Don't shy away from hell. But make sure that you balance it out by giving the other side of the gospel. You can be saved. You can be saved. Yes, there's this, there, there is a, a, a reality. Hell is real, and you could possibly go there if you don't trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? That is something you should run from. You should run from that reality. You should run from your sin that leads you there and that takes you there to Jesus to be rescued and to escape his wrath. So don't be afraid of scaring people into heaven. Tell them the the wrath of God. It's something we should be afraid of. But then don't forget to balance it out with the other side of the gospel. Because that's what God uses to save. Okay. Just make sure to tell the whole gospel. All right, we're, we're running out of time here. Uh, I've got a few more minutes, so let's, uh, let's go to number four. You should live holy lives. In response to hell, live more holy lives. And I want to take you to a text that really I, I had forgotten about. Sorry, this thing is popping a lot. You guys are probably... It's probably because I, I enunciate too much. I've been told that I enunciate too much. Okay. Um, live holy lives, Second Peter 3, 10 and 11. So what's going on here, um, Peter's talking about the day of the Lord, when Christ will return, uh, when um, this earth will be no more, when it will be burned up, okay? And so it's uh, part of God's wrath. This, this world is going to be burnt up because of God's judgment, because of God's wrath. And so in response to God's wrath, here's what Peter says. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away, with a roar, and the heavenly bodies, which are the stars, the planets, those kind of things, will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Since the wrath of God is going to destroy this world, the world is passing away, First John says, and all of its lusts, because it's going to be destroyed and be burned, what sort of people should you be in living holy lives of godliness? It should cause us to be more grateful. It's a, it should cause us to walk in a manner that is worthy of a God 
who loved us so much that he saved us from his own wrath that we deserved every bit of it because of our sin. And that God saved us from not only sin, but the consequences of sin and from his enemy, Satan. Let's walk then in a manner that is worthy of that God, that God of love. That's a response that we should have. Number five. Worship God for the contrast. Dan talked about this morning um, a diamond. Right? In order to see a diamond, what do the people at the jewelry store do in order to help you understand how beautiful this diamond is? What do they do? Yeah, put on some uh, like a black velvet uh, sheet, right? So you can see the sparkle. So the contrast exposes the beauty of the diamond. Does it mean that the diamond isn't already beautiful? No, it doesn't. The the diamond itself is already beautiful, but the background helps you to see the beauty. It's not that the beauty wasn't already there. It was, but the background helps you to see it. In the same way, the background of God's judgment, his holy anger, help us to see the love of God more clearly with more substance and concentration so that we should praise him. We should worship him as a result of it. God, thank you. Because of hell, I see more now your love and your passion for your holiness that I benefit from and and the rescue that you have rescued me with through Jesus Christ. I see that more clearly now because of your wrath, because of the background. It doesn't mean that your love wasn't already infinite and pure and good and, and true. It was, but the background helps me to see it as such. So let's worship God for that contrast. And finally, number six, examine yourself. Are you sure that you have escaped the wrath of God? Are you sure you've been saved from God's just punishment? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says that we should all be examining ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Are you sure? And not just so you will escape hell, but because a loving God has done everything necessary so that you can be saved from hell and from sin. See his love. Be humbled by that love. See your sin. Be humbled by your sin and run to Jesus Christ, the only one who can truly save you from the wrath to come. Are you sure you're saved from it? It's not that, uh, I mean, again, let's, let's put it together. Hell says something about sin, okay? You deserve hell because of your awful sin. And your sin says something about a holy God. If you sinned against a holy God and sin is that bad, then he must really be holy. So then if you deserve that kind of wrath for what you have done and the sin you've committed, then the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes sweet and magnificent. And it's the only way only way for you to be saved is to trust in Jesus Christ alone, who took the place of sinners, who received the wrath of God on himself for those who will believe. Are you sure you've been saved? So do some examining if you're not sure, and repent. Today could, today could be the day of salvation for you. Repent and draw near to Christ. Crawl to him in realization of his love and your sin and receive salvation. Father God, thank you for this time we've spent talking about this crucial doctrine. Father, help us not to forget these things, but that may they be 
close to our minds and hearts. Because hell is not a doctrine that is left alone. By it, is, it is a doctrine that is connected to you, your holiness, your gospel. And so we can't separate it from it. It says something about who you are. And it says something about your grace and mercy and justice. as a result of it and we they can be saved as a result of it. Do use us to save you aren't sure today. I pray you would save them by your gracious hand. Make them to believe in the gospel. Make them to be saved, God, as only you can do. I pray, Lord God, this would do our hearts good today. We would talk about it and that we'd be blessed by it. Um, in living it, I pray. In Jesus' name. You guys, for your attentiveness, um, just so you know, uh, as, as you're leaving here, the books, I, I didn't just make all this stuff up. I used the Bible, and I used several books, okay? Uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, Michael Whitmer, Francis Chan, Clot, uh, David Klotfelter, and Daniel Fuller. If you want to look at these books, uh, you can. They're up here in the podium. So, thanks.